Hi folks, it's your host W. Curtis Preston and I wanted to give you some great news. Druva liked my latest O'Reilly book enough to sponsor it and you can get a free copy by just going to druva.com slash podcast. Hope you like it. This week on No Hardware Required, we're talking about enterprise scale data protection service providers. With me as always is our CTO, Stephen Manley. Thanks for joining. Hi, and welcome to Druva's No Hardware Required podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me Stephen, 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 Manly, 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 our CTO. How's it going, Stephen? Well, apparently, I feel a little bit like Lou Gehrig today, so little, 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 I, I'm excited. Luckiest, luckiest man, man, man on the face of the earth, earth, earth. Exactly. I, don't know, I don't know if anyone, if anyone younger than us will get that reference, but, <clears throat> you know. <laughs> Pride, know, Pride the, the 1930s, Yankees, right? yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, yeah, the movie Gary Cooper. It's a Gary Cooper. Everyone knows who Gary Cooper is. Uh, actually, I'm starting to think there's probably a whole bunch of people who don't know who Gary Coleman is, much less Gary Cooper. But uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I thought I'd have. I thought we'd have a conversation. We talk yep. about Druva being an enterprise scale data protection, data resilience solution. But I'm not sure that everybody automatically knows what that means. So I, I thought I thought it'd be a good thing to to have a conversation about. What do you think? I, I think it makes a lot of sense because because I, I do think when when people look, you know, the, you get discussions about what enterprise data protection is. You get discussions about what SaaS is. But but you're right. When when did the two come together? It's an interesting question. Yeah, I and and when we. Because there are a lot of vendors that refer to themselves as enterprise scale. I can think of one particular vendor that is known primarily for mid-range uh, solutions because their backup solution, it's a, it's a backup product, their backup solution doesn't scale bigger than X, right? You, you right. can't do more than certain number of terabytes or certain number of hosts with a single backup configuration. And then you buy a whole other backup configuration that has nothing to do with this backup configuration, has its own database, its own scheduler, its own storage. And they often refer to their product as an enterprise scale product. So enterprise scale for non-data protection products, I, I think means something very different, right? Mm -hmm. You, it, it is not, it's not expected of, you know, you don't expect a compute, you know, server to handle your entire data center. <laughs> right. You, you, you buy a bunch of them. And so that's totally normal in there. You don't expect a storage array to handle your entire network. You don't expect a, you know, a networking device to handle your entire network. There are a bunch of them that work together. But in the data protection space, there are reasons really good ones, you know, the biggest being a, a cost and performance, there are really good reasons why we want a single, if, if I can use the word monolithic, uh, you know, a single system that works all together. Now that system may comprise of many, many smaller systems, but the key is, and by that, I mean like like compute nodes or storage arrays. Right. But the key is that they all have to work together and be aware of each other. And one of the big things I think is deduplication. 
if what you have is a lot of little deduplication islands, you have massive inefficiencies. Why, why is that? Well, because obviously, you know, anytime you think of dedupe, you think of I'm looking for any commonality across my data and everything else. The bigger the pool you look at, the more likely you are to find a match. Uh, so, so if I if I put you into a small pool, yeah, you'll find some deduplication because there'll be some matches, but you'll you'll miss all those matches. And then, of course, for really commonly used blocks, you're then storing one copy of that in every single pool. So, I want a bigger pool so that. I, I get more savings. It's it's pretty normal. So one of the things is a document that is shared to the entire company or a document that is shared amongst a large group of people or a, you know, a database that is backed up. If you think about with a database situation, when you have multiple dedupe islands, what you have to do is you have to configure your backup system so that we're going to send these groups of things here, these groups of things here. There are some backup systems that allow you to just sort of willy nilly, just use this pool. And by pool, I mean multiple separate pools of deduplication right. systems. And when you do that, that's when you get massive dedupe. So what you get there is you get a much easier to manage system because you don't have to divvy up all your backups piece by piece. But what you get is you get much more inefficiencies because you're sending the same data over time across multiple dedupe islands. Right. So how, how do we handle that? Well, so, you know, we, it, it, a lot of this again, you know, is that virtue of being cloud is that virtue of, of, of saying you know, we basically have this infinitely scalable back end. Um, you know, so, and a lot of this happens because one, yeah, we leverage object storage and you can just keep growing that. That's great. But the other is that we leverage, you know, DynamoDB, which itself scales pretty much infinitely to, to keep sort of our dedupe index. And, and, and that's really why you see a lot of these islands and on-premises applications. Well, you know, one is, is obviously there's only so much storage you can attach, but the bigger limitation tends to be how do I deal with the you know, all of the metadata, how do I deal with the, with all that management? The, the fact that we have infinitely scalable, not just data, but infinitely scalable metadata. Uh, and then of course, in front of that, you know, whatever compute we need, that's also infinitely scalable. Uh, it means that you can have as large, you know, we have as large a dedupe pool as you can have. Right? We're, we're unconstrained. Right. And, you know, and you, you of, of all people uh, would know about dedupe databases, right? <laughs> From your previous employer. <laughs> Most dedupe databases have a, they have a limit, right? And, and, and it's based on the size of the box that database is running in, the size and power of the storage behind that box. And it means that this box can only handle deduping a certain amount of data because after that, the database gets too big, too slow, and, it, and, it, and therefore you then need to buy another box. And that's... It's interesting. There are a lot of enterprise enterprise scale, as I make quotes in the air, enterprise scale solutions that work just like I described, that make tons of money. And then they would look at us that, well, they're just in the cloud. They're not really enterprise scale. And we say, well, we're actually more enterprise scale than you because we have an infinitely scalable dedupe database. We have customers that are double digits of petabytes, all deduping that data in a single dedupe database. 
Right. And which again, why, why does that matter? It matters because it saves you money, right? Yeah. It, it saves you money on the back end. It saves you money on the front end from a network perspective, because if we can right. identify a, a duplicate, it means that duplicate doesn't need to be sent from your whatever it is that you're backing up. And that means that saves you bandwidth and it saves you right. compute on the front end. So I, I think that's definitely one of those things where, you know, you, you said that we have both an enterprise scale dedupe database as well as enterprise scale, essentially infinitely scalable performance from, from a backup perspective. I'd like to talk about the performance that S3 offers from a restore perspective. Right. When you, again, pick your favorite backup vendor, they almost all store that, that basically all of the designs or you know almost all of those designs go back to the days of tape we laid out a big stream of data on tape and then when we moved to disk everybody laid out a big stream of data on disk when you do a full backup when you do an incremental backup it creates this blob of data on a contiguous section on disk and then when you restore that means you're doing essentially the way they use storage hasn't changed from the tape days. They open up the big file, they read through the big file, and then they stream that data back. Right. Whereas what we have is very, very different. How can, how can we use S3 differently than that? Yeah. You know, it, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, cause when you think of S3 one, it is good at streaming performance, mm -hmm. but it's also really good at parallelism. And, and, and I think that's always been the sort of the unloved part of, of compute performance, right? We go, go all the way back to processors and we always, oh, I went, you know, 486 to 586 and, 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 I, and I keep, uh, you know, sort of increasing the hertz. Well, that's great. What really changed things was when we multi-core and, and you, you get parallelism. Well, that's what you can get with, with an S3 is because we split our data across lots and lots of objects, I can be pulling data from multiple objects at once so that you get you know, basically the, the, the full performance of an army of objects as opposed to, like you said, that single threaded just pull one off at a time. And, and, and that's, a, that's an enormous benefit. I think you couple that with the fact that, again, our performance isn't limited by whatever a box can do, uh, but, but really by what you need. And uh, now, now I've got the army of people coming to help you all at once without any, any concerns about, uh, about scale, because again, all of this you know, sort of scales up on demand. This is why many people are surprised when we talk about our restored performance from S3, because they don't think of S3 when they think of, you know, high performance storage, but it's like, well, it might not be, it, it certainly would get outperformed on maybe a file by file basis if by EBS, sure. Right. But we have, literally millions of little pieces of your data because that a lot of people don't understand how we store s3 you know data in s3 we don't store one giant blob we store your data each of those deduped chunks of data is stored as an individual object so when we're when we're restoring your system we can pull from thousands hundreds of thousands millions depending on the server that we're backing up uh at the same time and basically fill your pipe Right. Exactly. And, and which is which is the best we can possibly do is to fill whatever pipe that you have, which is why I think many people are surprised when we tell them that we beat the restored performance 
of many of these on-prem backup vendors, they're, they're quite surprised at that. Yeah, and I think that also has a lot to do with your on-premises backup environment is almost always tuned for a deduplicated backup performance. Um, and a restore, that's all of your data. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying you should try to provision your backup appliances for a full restore, because then you're going to have a wildly over-provisioned hardware environment. But again, this is the benefit to having a, a very you know, sort of distributed and a very on-demand, a, a, a true enterprise SaaS kind of uh, offering is, again, you can, you can unleash all that power at the moment you need it, but not pay for it any of the other times. And that really is the beauty of the cloud is that we have the, you know, infinite, I, I almost want to use uh, the, the voice from Aladdin, but <laughs> the <laughs> infinite power. Tiny little living yeah. space. Uh, you, you, we have that infinite power available to us, but we, and neither does the customer, have to pay for that until we need it, right? And, and, and exactly. since, I, since I said the customer, the customer doesn't ever pay for it other than their monthly bill. Right. It doesn't matter if they do a thousand really big restores, our cost will change for them that month, but their cost will stay the same. But we can, you know, literally summon the heavens and say, let's, you know, Curtis has a bigger store. Darken right the now. skies. Darken yeah. the sky. Exactly. So that's that's when I think about enterprise scale, I think about the power that we have available to us and the fact that we can make that power available instantly for a customer that's in need of a large restore. I'd like to touch on something that you said earlier. You talked about most backup systems are engineered for backup. <laughs> In fact, we call them backup systems. We don't call them restore systems. Yeah. And you know, when you've spent as much time in backup as much as I have, you, you've heard from a customer or someone else is like, you know, backup doesn't matter. Restore matters. It's like, yeah. yes. You know, I, sometimes I roll my eyes. I say, well, if you don't have a good backup, you're not going to have a good restore. So to a certain extent, we do need to engineer for backup, but we also need to engineer for restore. Right. And you mentioned that so many systems are engineered for the the big backup. What did you mean by that? Well, so, so a lot of it is, you know, especially when deduplication came around, um, you know, cu customers looked and they said, well, okay, well, I, I don't need to, to necessarily store all that data each time the way we were doing with tape. Uh, and, and, and then especially when we started to do more source-based deduplication, well, I don't even need to send that much data to my backup system. And that starts to open up the, well, if I don't need to send that much data, then maybe I don't need as big a backup system. Maybe I don't need as expensive of a backup system as I used to pay for. This is a real win. Um, and, and 99, 98% of the time it is, uh, because, you know, let's face it, if I'm only doing backups, it's going to work out great. If I only have to do sort of the odd granular restore, a table space here, a file there, eh, it's going to be fine. It's only when the, oh my goodness, I need to run a full restore or a bunch of full restores that you realize I have literally sized everything in this environment, uh, for these small you know, incremental forever, change block only uh, backups. And this restore is suddenly going to take weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah, I I, I think about a lot of things over, you know, because I've been, <laughs> been in the backup space for a few years. One of the things I remember 
that was a really big problem when we were in tape was when we started using this thing called multiplexing. Yeah. We had to use multiplexing because the tape drives weren't streaming. They weren't, the, the backup stream wasn't fast enough to keep the tape drive happy. And so I, I don't remember who came up with it, but it became pretty popular, this idea of multiplexing, of streaming yeah. multiple backup jobs together to make the tape drive happy because we needed to make the tape drive happy or else the backup wouldn't work. But then when we go to do a restore, we have to read all of that data and throw away almost all of it. So yeah. I, that's my sort of quintessential example of how backup is often engineered for backup and not engineered for restore. When I think about the large dedupe storage arrays, right? The, the purpose-built backup appliances. Right. The thing that they get hit on when they're, you know, out in the field, when they're, when they're doing a, a POC, for example, is how fast can you back up? How fast can you back up all my stuff? So basically just in the back end, they just by default get engineered to do that fast backup. And they don't necessarily get engineered to the same degree. How fast can you do a restore? Now you you were possibly on the receiving end of that. So did did you see that? Yeah, I mean, and it's and and that was always something you even tell customers from the beginning is deduplication is likely going to slow your restore because you know I've fragmented your data across the disks and and I know we talked previously uh, sort of on another podcast about how you know, the way you get around that is, is is you get sort of multiple streams running at once so that uh, so that you don't encounter that but but especially when you're running in sort of an appliance it just means that you're jumping around on on the on the system to try to find you know, the set of blocks that they need because they're not going to be co-located anymore. And so, so step one was, it's just naturally going to be slower. Then step two is, again, you've been tuning this thing uh, to do just a, a, you know, this light amount of, of change data every night for lots of systems. You've not been tuning this system to do uh, a small number of very large operations. And mm. you design systems differently when you think that way. Uh, and, and it is really hard when you have mm. a box, when you have an appliance, to design for both sorts of design centers, right? You are going to make compromises on one side or the other. And 99 times out of 100, you're going to make that compromise for backup because that's the thing that people run 99% of the time. Right. So how is Druva any different, I guess? You know, we, we, say that, we say that backup systems are often engineered for backup. How did Druva get around that problem? I, you know, I, I think there's really two parts to it. The, the first is because we're not stuck in a box, you don't get those same, you know, sort of literal physical constraints of I've got a certain amount of memory, a certain amount of CPU, a certain amount of uh, of disk slash flash performance. You know, it's all in, in scalable when you're in the cloud. And so when you design natively for the cloud, you say, okay, well, for backup, I'm going to need this kind of you know, performance profile. For restore, I'm going to need a different type of performance profile. And you can have both because you're just really spinning them up when that event happens. So, so I think that's the first piece. I, I think the second piece that, that, we, that we really try to design for as well is, is the ability to also potentially restore to an alternate location. So, so when you think of disaster recovery, when you think of a large recovery, you, know, you, you, you might actually not be able to restore back to the environment you had in the first place anyway. 
because that might have been what caused the outage. And so our ability to say, oh, do you want to spin this up in the cloud? Hey, we could do that for you. And then when you need to, we'll, we'll obviously get it back on premises for you. But I think that kind of flexibility helps too, where, where you're not as location dependent. Yeah, I think about, when I think about the way a backup system is typically engineered for on-prem, you, you don't have an unlimited budget. Right. Uh, in fact, everywhere I've ever been, nobody wanted to spend any money on the backups, right? It, because yeah. it doesn't add to the bottom line. It, it's not a, it's it's an insurance policy, not something that makes sales go faster. Right. And so you could potentially buy a Ferrari to do your backups, but you only need the Ferrari when you do a larger store. So you don't buy the Ferrari. You buy the. I, I don't want to use another vendor. <laughs> To, to malign <laughs> some, other, to some other car, but not a Ferrari. So you end up with not a Ferrari for your backup system on-prem, right. whereas we can buy a, or we can use a not a Ferrari for the backup system because our backup is actually quite, it requires quite, it requires a lot less compute than right. a restore. And so we can use something that isn't a Ferrari during the backup and then I really like your idea that we can bring in the Ferrari because that's the way the cloud works if you're engineered for the cloud. I, right. I, it, it really is, if you understand how the cloud works, if you understand the things that we can bring to bear, that other vendors that are based in a box, that are, you know, it, whether it's a box or a set of boxes, they simply can't do the things that we can do in the cloud. And so that's why we think that we are actually more enterprise scale than a lot of these products that refer to themselves as enterprise scale. Does that seem fair? Yeah. It, it, it does. And, and it's always been interesting to me. Um, you know, when I started looking at the cloud a number of years ago, back when I was at a box vendor, I, I the first thing I said, and it was wrong, but uh, I'm often wrong, was, was, well, cloud doesn't make sense for backup because cloud is all about sort of dynamic workloads. And backup is not that dynamic, right? In general, mm -hmm. today's backup is going to be about the size of yesterday's backup. And to, I mean, it keeps growing, but it's not one of those things that whipsaws up and down. Uh, and and that, was, that was when somebody on my team uh, basically chimed in and said, except for restore. Now, oh, yeah. yeah. That's a good point. That is actually the exact massive spike out of nowhere and then goes away again kind of event. You're right. Uh, but, you know, the cloud is actually perfect for restore, which means, you know, like you said, you can't you can't restore something you haven't backed up. So all of a sudden, cloud made a whole lot more sense for backup too. Right, and and I would argue that you know you were wrong in multiple ways. <laughs> so the other thing is that that backup is a dynamic workload in that it only runs a certain part of the day, right? So That's most of the day, the backup system goes unused and then there's this massive spike of utilization from X to X. And so when our competitors' customers buy a box, that box goes unused most of the time. Whereas because we're in the cloud, we can spin down all of our resources when nobody's doing anything and we save money, which we then translate, uh, you know, into savings for the customer. So, um, yeah, young, younger Stephen was wrong in, in so many ways. And, and to be fair, you know, part of the reason I was so vastly wrong is my conception of cloud at the time was I'm going to run a virtual appliance in the cloud. 
Right. Which is is basically well, that was, saying that was, I'm in gonna, your defense, that was probably a valid <laughs> understanding of the cloud at the time. It, it, it was it was what everyone was doing, though. Though in, uh, since then, someone has once said that that was the idea of all of you appliance vendors that actually had no idea what to do. But <laughs> but but because effectively it was saying I'm going to take all the limitations of my box and I'm going to put it in the cloud, and then I'm going to say, see, the cloud's not good. Well, of course it's not because I took this limited architecture and made your yeah. So yeah, I, it it was I, I did learn. But uh, but the, you know those initial days we were we were very confused. Well, thanks for once again uh, chatting on the podcast. <laughs> no problem, man. And uh, I want to thank the listeners once again for joining us. And don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And remember, here at Druva, there's no hardware required. <laughs> <laughs>